Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, grab your Bibles if you would, and as our lights are coming on, um, if you would, grab, uh, grab your Bibles and turn back again to the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 6. We're going to look at the last half of chapter 6 this morning. Uh, we're working our way just kind of verse by verse, section by section through uh, through this book, which is known as kind of like is Paul's, the, a lot of people call it Paul's gospel or the gospel according to Paul. It's his, it's basically his magnum opus. It's his, he's written 75% of the New Testament, but this book right here is going to be kind of the anchor that all of the other ideas in the New Testament flow out of for him because the, the book of Romans is just like this theology on the gospel, um, on the good news of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, the resurrection, the power of, of God over the grave, um, and our new life in him. And so that's what we've been looking at. Chapters 1 through 5, of course, we saw really just kind of standpoint is why we need the gospel and why that, because we're all sinners, right? We don't like to admit it. If you can't admit it about yourself, you can at least admit it about the person sitting next to you or the person sitting in front of you, right? Uh, And that's what we're really good at today in our society. We're really good at admitting the sins of other people, right? But I read somewhere one time that it said, you know how you're really beginning to walk in Christ and get this whole Christian thing? is when you're more convicted about your own sins than you are about the sins of other people. So we're really good at being convicted about other people's sins. And we call it conviction, but it's really just we're really just judging people, right? Because we become convicted of our own. So we all are sinners, and that means we need a Savior because we're hopeless and we're lost, and then enters Jesus Christ into the picture. And Jesus didn't just, you know, put a Band-Aid over sin. He obliterated sin. He didn't just fight death. He killed death. And we have this new life that we're living in. And that's where we come to in chapter 6. Paul's been real theological for the first five chapters. And now in chapter 6, he's going to get really practical to apply the theology that we have seen. The thing about the book of Romans is probably any evangelism experts, probably they think that the book of Romans has probably been the catalyst for more conversions to faith than any other book in history. Martin Luther, the reformer, he was saved or converted to Christ as a Catholic monk on pilgrimage to Rome on the steps in, in the Vatican City when he came to understand the meaning of chapter 1, that is by grace through faith that we are saved, we are saved and not of ourselves. And um, it was uh, Charles Wesley as well launched the Methodist Church when he finally came through a disillusioned period where he was just over and over and over again just pounding it out saying, Lord, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do all these things. And it just never seemed to make sense until he came to understanding within his own heart how much I need him and came to understand it was justification by grace through faith. And there's nothing else that I could earn. Anybody familiar with hearing about the Roman road of salvation, right? Right. All these verses that kind of paved the way to Jesus all out of the book of Romans. And so the book of Romans is fantastic. It's important that as the church of Jesus Christ, we understand just how good we have it in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're kind of looking at uh, this morning. Uh, we've kind of, we began last Sunday looking at what it means to have new life in Christ and embrace the new things that we have in Jesus. Sometimes, have you ever seen those, those superhero movies or, you know, Disney movies where someone goes from like rags to riches and all of a sudden there's like a learning curve for this new life that they have? You know, like in all the Marvel movies, you get, or Spider-Man or somebody, they're like, all of a sudden they're trying to get used to how to use their webs, and they have all these questions about this new power that they've got. You know, like when Luke Skywalker found out that he was a Jedi, he's got all these questions for Obi-Wan and, and all this stuff. Because when we're introduced to new things, we don't have mastery over it at first, right? 
So when we come to know Jesus Christ, the Bible says everything is made new. You're not the same anymore. It's not just an upgrade. It's not just I've a better version of myself thanks to Jesus. Jesus has taken me totally dead, totally wrecked, and now I'm made totally new. I'm, the, the Greek word is metamorpho. I'm, I'm totally changed from the inside out. So what do I do? How do I embrace that newness that I've been given? Well, we embrace the grace of God because I'm no longer under the law. I'm under the grace of Jesus Christ. I need him, and he is there at every need I have with grace and mercy upon grace and mercy. And so this morning, we left off last Sunday at this like, revolutionary verse in verse number 14 that said this, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. What we're used to is being dominated and controlled and oppressed and enslaved by sin. But now because of Jesus Christ, now because of the gospel, what? I am now set free and I am no longer ruled by sin. I am now not under the law, but I'm now under grace. And I say that's a revolutionary truth because that's what salvation is. It's a total spiritual revolution. Everything has changed. Everything is new. The gospel has overthrown sin. The gospel has overthrown sin's tyranny. The gospel has overthrown sin's death sentence on us as well. So for the next couple chapters, chapter six and seven, we're going to see that Paul gets really vulnerable, like, like really vulnerable, more vulnerable than most Christians are today. He's really going to start to show the cracks in his armor because we sometimes look at Paul like this super Christian. And I mean, the dude was awesome. He was a missionary, first missionary, helped plant a lot of churches in Asia Minor. We read percent of the New Testament are his thoughts given to him by God. So, I mean, yeah, he's, he's kind of up there on the rankings list. But in chapter 7 especially, he's going to show us how vulnerable he really is. So he's going to say, I have questions too. You got questions? I have questions too. And what we're going to look at in verses 15 through 23 this morning is because I, everything is new, I have a new relationship with Christ, but my new relationship with Christ also enters me into a new relationship with sin. Now that sounds weird, right? People don't come to church to learn how to navigate or how to have a new relationship with sin. We want to get as far away from it as we can, right? And that's what we need to do. But there's a, everything has changed about this relationship that we were born into with sin. And now after we know Christ, there's a new relationship that we have with it. Everything changes. We kind of get the upper, upper hand, but sometimes we don't live like we have that still. We still live like in the, old, in the old one. So let's look this morning at verse number 15. We look through verse number 23, see what Paul says. What then, in verse number 15, should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Kind of like the idea is, if I've got like diplomatic immunity... Some people do. They, they can do some crimes and not get in trouble because, you know, because, you know, they're above the law. If you're above the law, then should you just go ahead and engage in every sin that you can because it can't touch you anymore? And he's like, absolutely not. In other words, how dumb can you be? That's a really dumb question, guys. Do you know that if you offer yourselves as someone as ob- to, oh, to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one that you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you become enslaved to righteousness. And then he says, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. What he's really saying is there's some things about God that we're never going to understand. The depth and the height of it is too much for us to grab. So we have to settle for these parables. We have to settle for these analogies to try to understand it the best that we can. And then he says, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit has, was produced from the things that you're now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. 
But now, since you've been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages, if you know the Roman road of salvation, this is one of the, this is one of the verses. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be the speaker and that you would be the teacher this morning. Hide me from saying anything that you, that, that, that you don't want said. And I pray this morning that you would captivate us by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. It's really, I don't know about you, it's really easy to look at this passage of Scripture. It's easy to look at, especially at chapter 6 and 7, as we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks, and think, man, I really don't know if I can do this Christian thing right. It's easy to look at a lot of places in the Bible and say, man, I don't know if I've been doing the Christian thing right. Because last Sunday we saw this. A believer, a true believer cannot willfully and habitually pursue sin all the time with no regard for God because a true believer has not just taken heaven as his get out of hell free card, but a true believer has said, I'm going to become a disciple and I'm going to surrender to the leadership of the Lord in my life. You're no longer dead in sin. You're dead to sin. Everything's changed. I can't just claim, well, I sin because I'm a sinner. No, you're no longer a sinner. You're a sinner saved by grace. So that means we have an expectation that there's a new relationship with sin that we go. He's obliterated sin by Christ. So I don't know about you, but I've been a follower of Christ since I was a kid, and I'm a pastor, and I stand up and preach this word every Sunday, and I believe it to my dying breath, but I still struggle with sin. All right, Stacy's actually working in the nursery today, so that's why you don't hear her shouting hallelujah and amen that I just confess that right now, okay? All right, but I still struggle with sin. I deal with temptation just about every day. I end up ending the day saying, I showed a whole lot more of Derek than I showed of Jesus today. Just about every single day. We are going to struggle with sin. That's not the understanding of this passage that we just read, because it's easy to look at that and be like, man, if I don't do it right all the time, man, I'm just not, I must not really be a Christian. That's not what's being said here. What's being said here is once you're made new, everything changes and your perspective on things change. You don't now look at what can I do. You look at what Christ has done. And that propels us to live in the grace and mercy and obey out of gratitude, rather out of obligation. See, Romans is not telling me that I'm not really a true believer. I'm supposed to be dead to sin, has been killed by Jesus. Why do I still feel tempted? I'm not killed by Jesus, but sin has been killed by Jesus. <laughs> Reading sometimes is bad um, on your notes. But if sin has been killed by Jesus in my life, why am I still struggling with sin? Why don't I become like this super giant spiritual Teflon guy that sin and temptation don't stick to? Wouldn't life be a lot easier that way? Right? But that's not the way God set it up. Our text is saying that becoming a Christian doesn't mean you instantaneously become perfect. Being a Christian means that you become his. And Jesus, when he was here, he struggled with the forces of sin and death as well. They fought him tooth and nail as well because the enemy doesn't like the work of the kingdom. And we've been recruited into the work of the kingdom, and so he's going to fight us as well. See, becoming a Christian doesn't mean you become instantly perfect, and struggling with sin doesn't mean that you're not a true believer. Having questions about your faith or your new position in Christ doesn't mean that you don't have a true faith to begin with. See, the tone of chapter 6 and 7 is really vulnerable, especially in chapter 7. Like I said, it's kind of like a superhero, someone who just comes to know all these new powers that they have, and all of a sudden i got so many questions. And so we're going to look at three questions that Paul gives us that we need to consider in this new relationship that we have with Christ, but also this new relationship that we have with sin. Because sin, I hate to tell you, but sin's not going away. Whoever told you, hey, the minute you get saved, everything's going to be smooth sailing on out there. They lied through their teeth to you. 
Because in a lot of ways, it's going to get worse. A lot of ways, the temptation is going to get stickier. A lot of ways, the road may get harder. But here's the beauty about this. That narrow road that we walk, we don't walk alone. He is with us. He guides us. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his church. That's why we need each other as well. So here's the things that we have to think about as we navigate our relationship with sin. First of all, I have to ask myself, what do I really want? What do I really want? And this is kind of the way Paul lays it out in verse number 15. He says, what then? Or let's stop and think about this in light of all the things that we've learned already in verses 1 through 14. Since I'm now not under the law, but I'm under grace. What then? Should I sin because I'm no longer under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. It's another rhetorical question. He started off chapter 6 with a rhetorical question too. Almost the same thing. Verse number 1, Paul said, since, God is, since God's grace is so beautiful and it's so endless, should I just keep on sinning so that God's grace is seen a lot more? And he's like, heck no. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He says, absolutely not. Then in verse number 15, he says this. Okay, since we're not condemned by the law and we can't, anymore, we can't die anymore and death isn't a worry anymore, does it really hurt anything if I just go ahead and sin to my heart's content? And again, Paul is like, no, what aren't you getting about this? And sometimes that's the way I feel in my life. What am I not getting about this? Why am I still struggling with the simple things? Shouldn't I be further along with where I am? This shouldn't be rocket science. Why do we still have these ideas? It's like the questions have so much, such obvious answers that they shouldn't even be asked anyway. But if it's so obvious, why is it still a problem? Why am I still being tempted? Because it really comes down to being a question of my identity. It's not really a question of, who I, of, of, of God. It's not really a question of my life before. It's a question of my new life and my identity in him. Because what we have to come to is an understanding that since I, am, I belong to Jesus Christ, I'm no longer under all of that stuff with sin. I shouldn't have that desire to go ahead and continue to do that. Here's what I love about Dr. Tony Evans. He's one of my favorite preachers to listen to. He told a story about this guy who went down, who went to see his therapist one day. And he says, Doc, I need to talk to you, man. I'm, I'm having a real trouble with my diet. I'm just having a real hard time. I'm trying to quit eating certain foods. He's like, okay, let's talk about it. And he says, I can't stop eating dog food. I just, can't, I just cannot stop eating dog food. It's been a struggle my whole life. And I just can't stop. He said, every time I go to the grocery store, I want to go to the produce section. I want to get the kale. Who, nobody wants to get kale, but you know what I mean. I, want, I know I'm supposed to. That's what all the TikTok videos say to do. Um, I, I want to go there, but it's all of a sudden I'm like, and, and, and it just drawn to the dog food section, man. And I'm looking at all the dog food, and I'm telling myself, no, you can't eat dog food anymore. This is the day you stop. You break the cycle, man. And he says, but it, it, every time I find myself not even being able to make it to the checkout register, I open that bag, I rip it open, and I am got kibble stuffed in both hands, and I am eating and everything. And all of a sudden, I get so excited, I start howling, and I start barking, and I start scratching behind my ears, and then I'm laying on the floor in the aisle asking people to rub my belly. And every time I get thrown out of there, Doc sits back, and he's like, I didn't go to school for this. And he says, that is a real problem. He's like, can I ask you a question? Let's kind of go back and find out when this problem developed. How long have you had this addiction to dog food? And he goes, ever since I was a puppy, Doc. Dude's got an identity problem, right? Right? This is our problem too with sin. Why do I continue to struggle with sin? Because we still don't see ourselves as saved from sin. We still don't see ourselves as God's child. And we can get really bogged down because a lot of times what faith becomes in church and 
all that becomes about making sure I read the number of chapters I need to read, making sure I go to the services I need to go to, making sure I memorize this and do all the things that every good little Christian is supposed to do. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's where we're finding our identity instead of in the one that, we, that saved us, in the one that we're meeting with when we get in the word, we're going to continue to struggle with that. We're going to continue to see sin as something that's just like, got a hold on me, right? So it's a question of our identity. Here's what he says about our identity in verse number 17. Look down a little bit more in our text. Thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. So two, so two quotes here, or two, two phrases, right? You used to be slaves of sin. That's past. That's BC. That's before Christ. I used to be a slave of sin. Sin is what we knew. Sin is what we always knew. It was the only reality that we've ever known. But now, look at verse 18, I have been set free from sin. Freedom is my new reality not oppression. Freedom is my new reality, not bondage. Life is my new reality, not death, like we looked at last week. Freedom, though, doesn't negate ourselves from the presence of sin being around us. Just because we've been set free doesn't mean the old master doesn't want to come back out and find us again and put us back in the chains. See, guilt and shame and regret are no longer the soundtrack of our lives. We walk in the amazing grace of God But we have to understand that identity. We have to grab that identity and be proud of the Savior who saved us. See, Satan's going to do whatever he can to take our eyes off of the identity that we have in Christ. Every day. See, Satan's number one job is to drag our souls to hell. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what the Word tells us. But once he loses that, once he loses that hold, once he's no longer the master, what he's going to do is just try to continue to get us to take our eyes off of the word that we, uh, off of the one that we have and the one who has us. See, so what he's going to do? He's going to start bringing up past sins, present sins, sins that you haven't made yet that you're planning to make and don't act like you don't do that. We all do it. And then he'll whisper in the ear of your spirit, you really think you're a Christian? You really think you're different? You really think that this is what new looks like? You're still doing all the old stuff. Remember how bad you messed up that relationship that you just had? Remember what you just said to your kid? And this is what you're supposed, this is the so-called faith that you're supposed to have. Or what he'll do is dangle this like legalistic carrot out in front of us saying that you're not quite there yet. But if you just try a little harder, if you just, if you just do the stuff that everybody else is doing and that's, you'll, you'll get these badges and you'll get all of these accolades. And if you just try harder to look like it, you'll be it. All the while, all of a sudden, my eyes are no longer on Jesus. They're on me. And what I'm doing, my eyes are no longer on Jesus, they're on me. And what I've done wrong, or what I continue to try to do right to make God love me more, but ain't nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I'm going to do to make God love me less. He just loves me. And that's hard to get used to. That's hard to get used to. And this is a struggle that every believer has. See, Christianity wasn't set up to be lived out with Christ out of the focus. It wasn't set up to succeed with our eyes off of Jesus. And it's a struggle that every believer has. Over in chapter 7, I'm not going to take the time to read that because we're going to get in and study it actually more in a few weeks. But over towards the end of chapter 7, Paul basically goes on this diatribe and he's wrestling. It's like he's on a therapist's couch himself. Not talking about eating dog food because that's weird. 
But he's talking about, he's like, man, the things that I know that I'm supposed to do, I don't do. The things that I know that I'm not supposed to do, I end up doing. It's like he's wrestling back and forth. He's like, I know what I need to do and I want to do those, but I end up not doing them. And he's like, ah, he's like, well, somebody just deliver me from this. And that's when he went because he could continue. And this is what we do. We continue focusing on what I need to do. And I don't do what I shouldn't do and what I do. It's all I, I, I. And then he says, will somebody deliver me? Every believer has this struggle, but everybody, every believer also has the same solution. Turn to Jesus for the deliverance from that. Every solution. It's, not a, it's a struggle that every believer has. And he says this, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. See, when we come to Christ, we come under new ownership. We come under a new kingdom. We become new citizens of a new order. And it's right here. You obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching which you were handed over. See, the struggle is going to be in the heart. Can, I've accepted Jesus in my heart, but can I accept in my heart that I belong to Jesus? Can I accept that? So the qu- second question is, first point was a lot longer than the other two, so don't get scared. Second question is, what do I really want, but who do I, who's really in control? Who's really in control? Look at verse 16. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one that you obey? Either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. See, here's an important uh, truth about the new relationship that we have with sin through Jesus. Even though sin can't rule over us, sin can't kill us, it can still invade our lives, it can still harass parts of our heart. It can't drag us to death, but man, it can drag us down to where we feel like we are. It really can. See, Christ has broken sin's control, but sin still lingers out there in the margins Kind of like an army that's been defeated, but news hadn't gotten to the front yet. So you got little skirmishes going on around. They think they're still going to win. And you still got to just put those little, little things out. See, sin is still always working to regain control and put us into submission. And he uses this uncomfortable illustration, something that we have to understand. Anytime we see that word slavery in the Bible, and sometimes the Bible gets a bad rap because of this, it says, oh, it endorses slavery. Never once do we see slavery to be endorsed in Scripture. What Paul is doing here is he is taking and using an idea of slavery that we're not familiar with from the, from the dark history of our past. The slavery that is talked about in the Bible is something more like indentured servitude, an agreement where you say, I'm going to serve this person to a point where I will eventually be freed and I will gain something in return for that. It's different from the dark history of what we have in our past where you take a person from their home based on ethnic lines and you force them into slavery and look at them as less than a person. Paul absolutely says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, that is wrong. Exodus says that anybody who kidnaps another and forces them into labor is worthy of the death sentence. The Bible never, never, never approves of that. It was an economic system that they knew about because that's what the way that Rome was thriving at that time. So Paul uses this analogy for us to understand the nature, because that doesn't mean just because there was indentured servitude and it wasn't forced like that, that it didn't mean that they didn't have bad masters and that slaves were treated bad. They were. So Paul is not endorsing any of this. He's saying, this is a reality that we live in and it helps us to understand a little bit about the nature of sin. He said, you've been set free. Your freedom has been bought. You've been pardoned. You've been set free by Jesus Christ. Why would we go back voluntarily to that oppressive master again and put the chains back on? Why would we do that? It's a question of who's really in control. See, so what we like to think, especially with our, with, with, with our modern ideas, is we like to think that we're in control. 
I'm the master of my own domain. I'm the master of my domain. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I've worked hard for everything I got, and I'm going to enjoy the thing I've got, and I'm going to press on, and I'm going to enjoy it. Nobody's going to tell me. Because of why? Because I live in America and because of freedom, baby. Okay, that's cool. But the thing is, none of us are free. We're always going to serve someone. We're always created and hardwired to worship. We talked about that during our Ten Commandments series. We're all hardwired and pre-configured to worship. We're going to worship. We should worship God, but a lot of times we worship other things. I don't know about you, but I was really tempted to worship last night when Kentucky beat Kansas as bad as they did. Right? But we, and to see those people in Kansas just like whole lives had fallen apart because their team lost. I'm so glad we don't have that happen in Kentucky. <laughs> so glad. But we're going to worship something. We're going to serve something. Even if you think I'm on top of the world and I don't answer to anyone, we do. We answer either to the flesh that drives us or to the spirit that lives inside of us. We're always going to do that. We're always going to do that. And so he says... Choose who you're going to serve. It's like Joshua said back in the Old Testament. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Jesus said this. You can't serve God and sin. You got to choose one or the other. That's the thing about God and serving him. is like you can't at the same time serve things that fight against God while serving things that are for him. Because it's just like doesn't make any sense, right? The thing we have to understand about sin is that sin is always going to work to enslave us. Always. Sin never takes a day off. And just because we've been set free from sin and we've been raised from death to life and no longer under the power of sin and the hold of sin doesn't mean that sin will not still try to work on you and work you over and chew you up and spit you out. It's still going to do that. Uh, anybody in here, no one in here is Tiger King fans, hopefully, right? Have you even heard of Tiger King? Well, Tiger King is this weird, bizarre show about weird, bizarre people um, on Netflix, okay? And it opens us up to this weird, bizarre world of people who like to keep big predatory animals as household pets. Makes complete sense, right? Because there's not enough in this world, there's not anything else in this world that, you know, I, there's nothing else you'd do with your life but, you know, keep a pet tiger. Well, back in 2010, it hit the headlines in Toronto that a 66-year-old man was shockingly found dead on his farm mauled by his 650-pound pet tiger. The, the ironic thing, the, the, the most ridiculous thing about that headline is the word shockingly. Why are we shocked that a man was mauled by a tiger? Right? Why? That's the thing. We look at it and we think, he's a predator. I don't care how much you feed him friskies or whatever the cat food is out there. I don't care how much. Here's two problems with a tiger. Number one, he's a cat, and we know all cats are wicked. Number two, he's a predator. It's his nature. Don't care how nice he is for a little while, he's eventually going to revert back to his nature. That's the nature of sin. You may think now that because you're a Christian, and this is what I think a lot of times the problem with, with church and with church people sometimes is, is we may think, well, now because I'm a Christian, sin don't bother me. But the problem is it does. And so what we do is we say, hey, it can't bother me. It's harmless. We look at that tiger. We look at that lion and say, it's harmless. Can't get me because I got Jesus. And you're right. He's not going to kill you. Man, he could make you want to die. And so we do. We play with it. And all of a sudden, we're shocked when sin starts to take its toll. 
where all of a sudden we're shocked when it starts to happen. And I see so many people, countless people who say, man, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But along the way, we begin nursing sin. We begin nurturing it. We begin to cuddle up with it. And all of a sudden we're shocked when it lashes out and does its work. Why? Because we're warned in scripture, don't mess with it. It always is going to work to enslave. The Puritan back in the 1600s, John Owen said, always be killing sin or it will always be killing you. Always. See, it's a matter of choice. Who's really in control is really a matter of choice. We're opened up to a choice now. Because Jesus saves, once you come to know Christ, new life in Christ gives us a choice. Will I follow sin or will I follow Christ? Before, we didn't have that choice. Here's what the Bible said. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. That's it. That was the only option. We had no other choice. Enslaved and in bondage to sin, no other choice but to do what it said, filling its whims. And he says here, he says, you were freed from righteousness back then. And he says, where was that getting you? All the things that you look back on and say, man, I'm ashamed of, where was it getting you? See, this is why sin's grip when it is loosed it will eventually try to tighten again, but it won't just rip out and just grab you like this. It's going to slowly, slowly, slowly tighten its grip back again once we get close. This is why you never hear about a person waking up one day and everything's going good, serving God, loving God, living in righteousness, and wake up one day and say, you know what, I think today's the day I'm going to throw my marriage away. I wonder if there's somebody out there today that, you know, I might just put it out on Facebook, hey, anybody want to start an affair today? You don't hear about things like that happening. Why? Because sin is a slow fade. I think for a little while I got everything under control. I play with it a little bit. It's cute. So I step a little closer. All the while it's tightening its grip. And then we don't realize that we're in a, over our heads before we know it. See, that's the nature that we have. It's a choice. It's, it's not one huge choice of disaster usually. It's a small choices. The small compromises of the way. It's death by a thousand cuts. It's like this slow fade. Little choices, little compromises that all of a sudden I've continued to drift and drift and drift away from the presence of God. And I look back and I'm like, well, how, in the far, how in the world did I get that far? This is what Paul is trying to say. It's a daily choice. A daily choice of giving control to Jesus. What I've already given him control. I trusted him as Savior. But it's a daily choice of giving him control and resting in the identity that I have with God. And then lastly this morning, and I know for those of you on the PowerPoint, I'm bouncing around, so I'm sorry. The last thing this morning is, where is this all this really, really headed? When it comes to our relationship with sin and this new relationship, where is all of this headed for me? See, we've been set from, free from sin. We've now been given the choice, I can serve sin or I can serve God. And, and here's the thing. Every day is going to be, it, there's going to be days where you look like, <laughs> definitely serve sin a little bit more than I should have served God. That's why we live under grace and not the law. God is never going to look at us and say, you know what, you strayed too far. I'm not bringing you back this time. That's the beauty of our God. But you have to ask yourself, where is all of it going to head? See, he gives us two paths to consider in verse number 19. He says, just as you offer the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to, gr and to, uh, to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. So we see two, two roads. One road, the road of lawlessness. So that word in the original language is an active tense, painting the picture of someone who spirals downward and downward like a drill, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. 
He says, you're spiraling downward into lawlessness. The direction of the path of sin is nothing but leading us down into a deeper pit. But there's another road of sanctification. Sanctification is God setting us apart in stages as we grow in him and grow towards him, moving closer towards him. See, I'm instantly saved, but I am progressively sanctified in my relationship with Christ. But you see, there's two roads, and they're going to lead in two different directions. The road to sin leads to lawlessness, continually spiraling us down like quicksand, just pulling us down. And the road of righteousness leads to sanctification. And if you're moving in the direction of sin, you're moving away from the direction of sanctification many times. You're moving away from the lap or the feet of Jesus. We're moving away. So there's two roads to consider. And this is why so many of us feel distance and spiritual numbness when we're harboring sin in our lives and we don't want to deal with it. We enjoy it. We're caught in that lawlessness spiraling down and down and down. And we begin to feel like, I just don't feel as close to God as I used to because that's the nature of sin. The nature of sin is to enslave and to numb us to God and to the things of him. But then we have to ask ourselves about the fruits in verse number 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. For what fruit was produced when the things, from the things that you're now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you've been set free from sin, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. So, two fruits, right? Paul asks us to look back and ask, exactly what was I getting in my sin before Jesus Christ? Didn't I turn to Christ to begin with because of the sin? Because I was repentant of that and weary and worn out by it and tired of being abused by it. What fruit was being produced in that life? Why is it so tempting for me to run back over into that field that was producing nothing but poison? Why is it so tempting for me to do that? We begin to look at it that way, it begins to lose that allure. See, one of the greatest benefits of being redeemed is the ability to speak of our sin in the past tense. Catch that. One of the greatest benefits and blessings of being redeemed is the ability to speak of your sin in past tense. I was a sinner dead in my trespasses and sins, but I am now a sinner saved by grace. See, we couldn't do that before we were trapped in our sins, all of it laid on us. See, then there's the fruit of the righteousness of sanctification. Again, sanctification being that the outcome begins to be eternal life. And then that leads us to the last thing. There's two outcomes to consider. Where's all this really headed? There's two outcomes. Verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, every servant deserves a wage. Would you go to work tomorrow if they weren't going to pay you at the end of the week? Right? When we work, we deserve a wage. We earn it, right? It's the wages. And here we see that the, the wages, what we earn when we slave away in that field of sin, is death. You may think that you're growing something beautiful, but it's going to rot and it's going to kill us. Every servant deserves a wage, and the servants of sin will always, always be paid in death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So there's two important words. Notice that God doesn't say the wage of God or what you earn by God. Do you know why he doesn't do that? Because we serve God. He gave himself to us for free. Everything has been paid. The whole debt has been paid. See, a wage is something much different than a gift. So we're born trapped to sin and we continue to have to work to try to earn our keep with sin 
But with God, the gift says, you're already paid. The debt is already paid. There is nothing that you could do to make you more my child than you already are right now. The wage of sin. I continue to work in that and I continue to just hope that I'll find something better. Something's going to make me happier. I'm going to find fulfillment over here and over here. And every time I pluck that out of the ground, it's just more death. But what do we do? We go clock in and go back again and what we end up getting paid is more death. And Jesus says, come to my field, in my kingdom. You don't earn a wage because it's already covered. It's already covered. So I go back to verse 15. Should I continue sinning since the law doesn't apply to me anymore? And the question is, why? What are you getting for it? What are we getting for it? We've lost our view of how good we have it in God. And that's the prayer we should pray at the end is, God, help me just see your beauty again. How messed up are we when we look at all this stuff and say, man, this is so much more attractive than God right now. There's nothing more beautiful than him. Nothing. So as we kind of go to a time in prayer this morning, as we close out, that's what I hope you see more than anything, that being a Christian is never a mistake. It's never something you should look at and say, man, I just wish I could go back to when I wasn't. I know some of you, that might be where you're at thinking, I'm getting tired of all this. I'm getting tired of the rat race. I've got a lot of questions that I, I can't find answers to. And there's nothing wrong with having the questions. There's nothing wrong that you're struggling with sin. Look, if it wasn't attractive, it wouldn't be a struggle. But nothing will ever be as beautiful as the Savior. Nothing. Nothing will ever be as fulfilling as the Savior. And if you have not begun a relationship with him, there's no way you can understand what I'm talking about until you come to him. So if you don't know Christ, let today be the day. Just like I said, the wages of sin is death. What we're getting, death, 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 every time. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. If you don't know Christ, come today. Or if you have questions you're watching virtually, reach out. Reach out to us at gracewaylex at gmail.com or comment right there in the sections. There's people that are running it right now that will break off with you and go into a comment room or whatever and talk with you and counsel with you. Don't leave today unchanged. Don't put it off either. Because like I said, what sin will do is start to take our eyes off of it. Right now, your eyes are fixed on what you need in God. Don't let the distractions pull you away. If you're here this morning, you know Christ. Let me ask you this, this message. Who have we been daily choosing to serve? Who have we been daily choosing to serve? It's a daily choice. Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. So you say, hey man, I, I, if you need to talk to somebody, say there's something. Look, temptation is real. Sin is strong. <sighs> Satan, the enemy, does not like that you walk with God. He's going to try to pull you away at every stretch. And God is not a, t a, t a tyrant. He's not going to say, you're mine, and I'm keeping you over here all the time. He is always going to be there for you. But it's always a matter of, will I come to him? If you haven't come to him, come today. Maybe it's been a while since you've talked to him. Maybe it's been a while since you just stared at his beauty. You take the time to do that. Father, <clears throat> I pray that it's been you that spoke today. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. 
Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.